As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform, with over 350 million global monthly visitors according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. One semester of law school. One semester of criminal justice. Two experts. I'm Kristen Caruso. I'm Brandi Egan. Let's go to court. On this episode, I'll talk about the smiling widow. And I'll be talking about another family annihilator. You shouldn't smile when you say that. <laughs> uh, Brandy, Brandy. Yeah. First of all, you've got a cold. I do. I have a cold. Uh, I actually sound way better than I have, so... Miracle of miracles, here we are recording. <laughs> but you've got big news. Oh, what what are you referring to, Kristen? Oh, gee, I don't know. I'm just like, there's something sparkly that's like catching my eye constantly. Yeah. Um, David proposed. Woo! I said yes, we're engaged. Yay. Congratulations. Thank you. By the way, that was probably annoying for me to clap right clap. into the mic. Yeah, probably. Sorry, guys. Sorry. Yeah. It's just yeah. part of the that's podcast the charm. charm. That's right. That's our charm. Oh, here we are on episode 99. Can you believe it? I can't. They said we wouldn't make it. They said we'd quit at 97, and yet here we <laughs> here are. Here we are. Let's quit at 100, okay? Okay. <laughs> Final no, we episode. No, we will not quit. No, we will not. We love this. We love it so much. And if you love this, let me tell you, you got to join us over on Patreon. This week, my mom discovered... Oh, oh God, man. how do we even... Okay, so we were putting up the tree... She discovered some photos that Brandy and I took during winter break of our ninth grade year on this planet. Yes. Um, oh, my God. It's magical, really. So there's a close-up of Brandy. She's wearing her letter jacket that says cougars on it because, you know, that was that was yeah, the mascot. That's right. And now she's a cougar for sure because right. David's 12 years old <laughs> and she's 47. <laughs> You had the high ponytail, pigtails? Oh, yeah, pigtails. Because I had, I had like a little bob, but I still had to rock pigtails. So I have, yeah, yeah little half pony pigtails. And then I had sun in, yeah. in my bob. I have so many braces in my mouth. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, we posted those pictures on Patreon. and Yeah, I'm just glad everybody could see my awkward stage. I looked great. Ugh. No, false. False. <laughs> false. We both looked terrible, but we were having a good time. Yes, we had... You know, each other. That's all we needed, Kristen. <laughs> so if you like that, you'll also like bonus episodes over yeah. there. We've got how many? Five bonus Five episodes? Five bonus episodes. Good Lord. What more do you want? Six? Okay. okay. Wait a couple weeks. Yes. <laughs> we also have the Discord. Get on there. Chat with people. And yeah. If you are a patron and you have not made it to the Discord, what are, what you, are doing? you doing with your life? What are you doing? There's so much fun going on in the Discord. When you sign up, you get an email that tells you how to get in the Discord. You got to do it. It's so fun. And then you also get a sticker. 
a yeah. sticker. I tell That's you, right, a sticker. I know you've been wondering, like, how do I get a sticker? Where are up. all the stickers? That's right. The only way to get a sticker these days is to go on our Patreon and sign up at the $7 level. That's exactly right. All right. Plug adjourned. Excellent. Should we get right into it? Let's get talk right about a terrible case. <laughs> get right into it. As we we've just... been 20 minutes in already. <laughs> uh, Ready to hear about a family annihilator? I guess. Okay. So I have to tell you that I found this case in kind of the oddest way possible. So not really the oddest way. I found you the... annihilated your family That's and right. now you're yes. reading about yourself? No. So I saw a little blurb about it on an Instagram account I follow, This Day in Crime, which I've mentioned before. Yeah, I've yeah. used them for cases before. So I found this case. And then I was just like kind of reading through the Wikipedia page, seeing if there was enough to do an episode on it. And like I was following a couple links, reading some stuff. And every like link I went to linked me back to this same article. And it was a really great article. And so that's basically where most of this comes from. The article is in the New York Daily News. Okay. So I put this episode together and then I'm going back to do my sources. And I look at who wrote that article. Who? My best friend, David Krajicek, wrote the fucking article for the New York Daily News. You know, it hurts my feelings every time you say it, but I get it. You two do have a bond. Here's the deal, though. My sister, Casey, who Mm -hmm. I've mentioned multiple times on here, told me the other day that I've been probably mispronouncing my best friend, David Krajicek's name this whole time. Okay, David? No, his last name. So she works with my dad. They have a sign company and they do right. a lot of real estate signs. And an right. agent came in and ordered signs. My sister looked at it and she was like, oh, it's Krajicek, just like that David guy that Brandy Yeah, likes. yeah, yeah. Except this woman pronounced it Krajicek. Oh. Yeah, like Polish, right? Yeah. Yeah, I yeah. Pro- yeah. So I've probably been mispronouncing his name this whole time. It's probably Krajicek. Yeah, probably the woman who has that last name knows I how to pronounce it. she probably does. <laughs> She's a bit of an expert. <laughs> so I don't know. Krajicek, Krajicek, whatever. David, thank you for helping me out on another case. How's that going over there, Chris? I'm sorry. I'm trying, guys, I'm trying to silently put my straw into my water bottle. I just slurped on it and it sounded terrible on the <laughs> mic. I'm trying, I'm trying to be quiet. Anyway, this case is old timey. It's also local and I'm very excited for it. It's a local family annihilator? Yes. Okay, go, 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 okay. go, go. Faster. (laughs) (laughs) To everyone who knew him, Lowell Lee Andrews seemed like the perfect son. The one that every parent could be proud of. Mm, Don't trust him a bit. Polite. He was studious. Never got into trouble. Except for the one time he killed his whole family. (laughs) So when things went awry (laughs) in the Andrews family in the late 1950s, Hmm. it was quite the shock. To Walcott, Kansas. Where's Have you ever Walcott? heard of Walcott, no, Kansas? No, no. Neither had I. It's not really a town. It's a neighborhood. Okay. It's part of Kansas City, Kansas. Oh. It's essentially kind of like Piper is or something okay, like that. Okay, gotcha, gotcha. So Walcott is actually located, like it's in the northern part of Kansas City, Kansas. There's Lakeside Speedway, which is like this little dirt, like amateur racetrack. Mm-hmm. And that's essentially exactly where Walcott is. Okay. Lowell who may have gone by Lee. I can't really tell. Some articles call him Lee. Some articles call him Lowell Lee. Um, I'm not really sure. I'm going to call him Lowell. Okay. So Lowell was a big kid. He was like six foot one, more than 250 pounds. The way I will describe him to you, and this isn't super accurate, but it's the closest thing I can come up with. Okay. Is he looks like Donkey Lips from Salute Your Shorts. Yeah. With glasses. Okay, okay, okay. God, I love that show. I know, me too. (laughs) So, like I said, good kid, 
very studious. He's got like a knack for musical talent. He plays the bassoon. I think you have a drop of water on your Thank nose. You. <laughs> Saving it. <laughs> At this time, it's 1958. He's a student at Kansas University. He's in his second year there. He's 18. Who says Kansas University? Well, University of Kansas. Yeah, there you go. I was going to say KU, and then I was like, oh, people are going to know what that is. So then I just. I'm sorry for giving you shit. All right. Yeah. So he goes to the University (laughs) of Kansas, aka KU, Uh in Lawrence, which is about an hour from his home. He plays in the school band there. He plays the bassoon. He's a zoology major, Mm -hmm. and he's doing great academically. He's very involved in his family church. They go to this Grandview Baptist Church in Kansas City, Kansas. One neighbor would describe him as the nicest boy in Walcott. The family was a family of farmers. They had a small like suburban farm and Lee's parents lived on the farm, worked on the farm. They had done that for a long time. Lee, Lowell, whatever the fuck his name Uh is. William and Opal were his parents. And then he had an older sister who was 20 years old who went to college in Oklahoma. Lowell was not super social. He did okay, but he was more content to like read books and stuff like that. And his mom preferred that because it kept him out of trouble. Okay. There's, there's, you know, my boy David has a way with words. He really does. And when he describes people, he does not hold back. So I'm going to read you this little, this little clip that he says about him. He says, His mother sometimes worried that he was too solitary, but she reckoned her son was simply self-conscious and shy like many chubby teens. Yeah, well, (laughs) So, but she really liked that he kind of kept to himself and was happy to be content with his books, you know, kept him out of trouble, whatever. But he adjusted well to college life. He lived in a boarding house at KU and he did really well in school. But it was November of 1958 and he had come home for the Thanksgiving holiday. His sister had also come home from, her name was Jenny. Jenny came home from school in Oklahoma, and it was like... Hold on. Yes. Are you about to tell me it's one of these deals where someone goes off to college, they don't get the grades that they should be getting, and so then they come back and they kill their family? No, he was a great student. He was getting good grades. Okay. But he does kill his family. (laughs) Okay, come on. So it's Thanksgiving 1958. It's November 20th. Oh, by the way, for anyone who's like, you know, some people. We're not laughing at the family getting killed. We're laughing at, you know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, okay. Yeah, yeah. If they don't get that on this podcast I know, I know. Yeah. They're having a, a nice night at home. It was cold and snowy, and the family was watching TV. The father, William, and the mother, Opal, and Jenny were sitting on the couch watching TV. Lowell was up in his room. He was reading a book. Specifically, he was reading The Brothers Karamazov. Hmm. Okay. So I looked this up because I recognized the title but didn't know anything about it. Okay. So this is a little bit of what Wikipedia says about this book. So this is by Dostoevsky. Mm -hmm. And it is described on Wikipedia as... A passionate philosophical novel set in 19th century Russia that enters deeply into the ethical debates of God, free will, and morality. It is a spiritual theological drama of moral struggles concerning faith, doubt, judgment, and reason set against a modernizing Russia with a plot that revolves around the subject of patricide. Okay. 
So he's up in his room reading this book. It's Thanksgiving night. like. And rather than being bored to tears, he's like, hey, this guy has some pretty good ideas. Yeah, maybe. It might be the night after Thanksgiving. Now that I said it's Thanksgiving night, I'm not positive. I know they're home for the Thanksgiving holiday. I didn't actually look up what day of the week November 28th was in 1958. Okay. Well, I think we forgive you. <laughs> so he's reading. He finishes the book, which mm-hmm. just seems like a monumental task to me. <laughs> and then he gets up he goes into the bathroom he like gives himself a fresh shave combs his hair goes back into his bedroom puts on a suit and then he goes to a closet in the home and retrieves two guns a like a small rifle that's used Mm -hmm. to like hunt varmint and then a ruger pistol put the pistol on his hip held the rifle across his chest and then walked down the hall to the living room he flipped on the light and Out of nowhere, shot right at his sister, right between the eyes. Yeah. He then shot his mom six times and shot his father twice. What the fuck? Yeah. His father, like, fell down off the couch and started to, like, crawl out of the living room. And so Lowell pulled out the pistol Mm -hmm. from his hip and emptied it. In all, he shot his father 17 times. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. So, old-timey disclaimer here. Right. Most articles say his father was shot 17 times, his sister (gasps) was shot twice, and his mother was shot four or six times. Okay. Then, Lowell went around the house and made it look like there had been a robbery. He opened a bunch of windows, pulled a screen off, emptied dresser drawers, emptied the contents of his mom's purse and scattered it around, emptied his sister's purse and scattered it around, and then he left the house. He got in the family car and drove to his boarding house in Lawrence. As he like drove over the bridge over the Kansas River on his way to Lawrence, he stopped mm-hmm. and he dismantled the guns and threw them into the Kansas River. Ew. Yeah. Then he got back in the car and he drove the rest of the way to Lawrence. He went to his boarding house and he was super chatty, which was just not his normal character. He talked to the landlady of the boarding house, made a whole conversation with her about how he came to get his typewriter because he had a homework assignment that he needed to do. He chatted with some other person who boarded there. Like, he really wanted to make sure he had been seen at this boarding house. And it's cold and snowy and icy out. It took him forever to drive to Lawrence. Like, he told the guy that he talked to at his boarding house that it took him over two hours to get to Lawrence from his home in Walcott, but that he needed to come get his typewriter for that homework assignment. Mm -hmm. Then... Once he's chatted it up at the boarding house, he heads on down to the Granada, which is a <laughs> theater in Lawrence. Now they do like concerts and stuff there. Yeah, at the time yeah. it was a movie theater. Okay. And so he goes and sees a movie. Specifically, he went and saw Mardi Gras, which I hadn't heard no. of. But I looked it up. Mardi Gras came out in 1958 and starred Pat Boone. And this is the synopsis as described by IMDb. A military school cadet wins a date with a French movie goddess who happens to be the queen of the Mardi Gras parade. They fall in love. But the French actress's movie studio wants to capitalize on the newfound love for publicity. Okay, it doesn't sound that good. It doesn't sound that good, no. (laughs) So while he's at the movie theater, he chats it up with everybody there. He makes conversation with the candy counter girl. He talks to an usher. He is making sure that he's Mm -hmm. making an impression while he's here. Because his whole plan is once this movie's out, he's going to drive back home, say yeah. he'd been out all night, and then he came home to found his house robbed and his family dead. Yeah. And that's exactly what he does. The movie gets out sometime after 11. He gets back in the car, 
drives to Walcott, he feeds the family dog, and then somewhere around one o'clock in the morning, he calls the Wyandotte County Sheriff's Department and says he's just gotten home and discovered a robbery. Why did he, like why'd he wait? I don't think that he probably waited that long. Because oh, okay. if the movie got out sometime after 11, he's got at least an hour drive home, maybe okay, longer okay, if the okay. roads You're are right. bad. You're right. And he did, specifically did not take the turnpike. So that's the fastest way to get from Kansas City, Kansas to Lawrence is on the turnpike. But he thought that he'd have a better chance of being seen that way. Mm-hmm. And he didn't necessarily want to be seen driving from one location to the next. Okay, okay. So he mentioned specifically not taking the turnpike on the way to Lawrence because he didn't want to be seen driving to Lawrence specifically. Right, right. And then he took the same route home. Okay. So he probably came in, fed the dog, and then immediately called right. the sheriff's department. Right. So a deputy comes, and when he gets there, he sees Lowell sitting on the front porch of the house playing with the family's Pekingese dog. And he's like... What happened here? And Lowell kind of like looks up and he's like, oh, hey, look in there and just points to the house. Oh, okay. Yeah. Yeah, act natural, buddy. So immediately this deputy is like, what the fuck? (laughs) (laughs) This is odd. Yeah. So his spidey senses are already like on full alert because he's like, "That's, that's a super odd thing. So more officers get there. They start looking at the scene and they're all like hush hush talking about like something's up with the boy. Like, yeah, he's still playing with the dog out front. Yeah, not seeming one bit sad. And so the coroner comes and the coroner starts to try and talk to Lowell about where he wants the body sent. You know, do you guys have, you know, a funeral home in mind? And he says, I don't care what you do with him. Well, what? Yeah. And so that's like the final thing. And they're like, okay. So they actually. It's weird to me that he worked so hard to be seen at these yeah. other places, but he can't work a little hard now that the police are there. To, to act somewhat normal? Yeah. Yeah. He has no concern at all. Like, he has no emotion over what's going on inside. Like, can't even fake it. Okay. Yeah. And so at this point, they're like, yeah, okay. There's definitely something up. So they take him, like, to the station. Yeah. And then they call the family minister. So as I mentioned, this family is very involved with their church. They call this guy. Okay. In some articles, his name is spelled V-I-R-T-O. And in some, it's spelled V-I-T-R-O. So I don't know if it's Verto or Vitro, but okay, whatever. His last name's Dameron. Okay. So they call this minister, Mr. Dameron, and they ask him to come talk to Lowell. So he comes down to the station and he's a very well-respected minister, very well-known in the area. Yeah. And so, like, you know, he talks to the police first, and then he comes in, and they've got Lowell sitting in a room by himself, and the minister comes in, and he brings him a Coke. And he's, like, he gives Lowell the Coke, and then they're talking about school and the Thanksgiving holiday and all of this stuff. And he's just trying to get him to talk a little bit. Mm-hmm. And then he says to Lowell, he says, you didn't do this terrible thing, did you? If you did... Now's the time to purge your soul. Mm. So that's what he says to Lowell. And Lowell looks at him and then he just nodded and he confessed to all of it. He told him exactly what he'd done. Whoa. Yeah. And so the pastor's kind of sitting there with him and he's like, okay, and how did you feel about that? And he said, I didn't feel anything about it. The time came and I was doing what I had to do. What you had to do? Yeah. He said, that's all there was to it. Okay. Yeah. And so at that time... He makes an official statement. He gives them like a verbal confession that they write down and then they have him read and he initials each page and signs mm-hmm. it and all of that. At that point, Lowell Lee Andrews was placed under arrest and charged with three counts of first degree murder. Shortly after his arrest, 
Lowell was subjected to a panel of mental health experts to see if he was competent to stand trial. Mm -hmm. So he was sent to the Meninger Clinic. In this article, it calls it a psychotherapy sanctum, but I'm guessing some kind of mental institution in Topeka. So he undergoes like a series of interviews and tests with like three different psychiatrists at this facility so that the court can get like three independent opinions on if he's competent to stand trial. Mm -hmm. So one of these doctors, Dr. Joseph Satin, Satin, S-A-T-T-E-N. Sure. Diagnoses him as schizophrenic and delusional. Or I'm sorry, schizophrenic, but not delusional. So he says that he is definitely schizophrenic. He's definitely suffering from mental illness. But he knew what he was doing and he knew why he was doing it. And his motive was, while it doesn't necessarily make sense, there was to him a rational motive behind it. He wanted to inherit the family farm and he wanted the $1,800 in his parents' bank account. So he could give a clear reason why Mm -hmm. he decided to murder his family. Wow. It wasn't, you know, voices told me to do it or this or that. He had a somewhat logical reason that he did it. Okay. And so... This was something that this particular doctor, Dr. Satin, had like focused his career on. He studied these sudden murders that are committed with like a really weak motive. Like he had really studied them. And so he took a special interest in Lowell's case. And he really felt that while he was suffering from mental illness, he was competent to stand trial. He understood that what he had done was wrong and that while he was emotionally detached, he knew that he deserved punishment for it. Mm hmm. And the other two psychiatrists who examined him came to similar diagnosis. I don't know that anyone else specifically diagnosed him with schizophrenia, but they all said he was competent to stand trial and that he was not insane at the time of the murders. Yeah. While there might have been mental illness present, it wasn't the driving factor in in what he did. Okay. So he ends up going to trial. He gets like three defense attorneys kind of assigned to him. I think one he hires and the other two are assigned to him. I don't really know. Mm-hmm. And they work up an insanity defense and they plead not guilty by reason of insanity. And ultimately it doesn't work. He's found guilty at trial and he's sentenced to death. Wow. Yeah. As an 18 year old kid who's been diagnosed as being mentally ill. Wow. Yeah. So he's sent to the Lansing Correctional Facility in Lansing, Kansas. And it's actually really interesting because he's put on death row there. And at the exact same time that he's on death row there, two very famous inmates are also there. Uh Uh-huh. You know who? Well, I'm assuming the Cutter family murderers. Clutter family murderers, yes. Dick Hickok and Perry Smith. So they are also on death row. And so... They become very acquainted Which, with each other. If people don't know, In Cold Blood by yes. Truman Capote, that's yes. the book about that. that about murder. the clutter yeah. murders. And it's really, the book also goes a lot into Dick Hickok and Perry Smith, because when Truman Capote was researching this book, he came to the prison regularly and mm-hmm. interviewed them. And by extension, he interviewed Lowell Andrews several times, too. He's wow. mentioned in In Cold Blood. Oh, I didn't know He's that. Actually, there's actually a scene with him in the movie, too. Oh, my gosh. Okay. Yeah. And so he gets to know Truman Capote. He gets to know Hickok and Smith. So there's actually a couple of quotes in In Cold Blood about him. I'm going to read one to you. Okay. This is by Dick Hickok. He said, I really liked Andy. He was a nut. Not a real nut, like they keep hollering, but, you know, just goofy. He was always talking about breaking out of here and making his living as a hired gun. He liked to imagine himself roaming around Chicago or Los Angeles with a machine gun and a violin case cooling guys said he'd charge a thousand bucks per stiff 
So this huh. actually made a big impact on how people saw this murder and how people saw Lowell and like changed what people thought his motive for it was that he really wanted to become like a mobster or a hitman and that this was how he was going to see if he could handle it. If he could handle murdering his family, then maybe he could make it like on the streets of Chicago. Oh, God. Yeah. But obviously he couldn't if he confessed to it Immediately, right away. Yeah. Yeah. Huh. In In Cold Blood, there's another section where he's mentioned, and it talks about, you know, Hickok and Perry's impressions of him. And one of them said, you know, Andy was a funny kid. It was like I told him. He had no respect for human life, not even his own. Like, he didn't even have the respect for his own life to try and, you know, feign concern over his family or, you know, not confess. Like, he just, mm-hmm. he was just like, yeah, I did it. And that was it. Couldn't that be mental illness? I think it's absolutely mental yeah, illness. Okay. I think it's 100% mental illness. And so did his attorneys. Because after he was sentenced to death, Lowell had no interest in fighting it. He wasn't upset with it. He was just like, that's how it is. But his attorneys, one of them was Buford E. Braley. And the other was, oh gosh, hold on. Now I can't find the other guy's name. This other guy, his last name was Aaron's. Two of his attorneys really took it upon themselves to appeal his conviction and fight. They really thought that you could not put to death someone who was had been diagnosed as mentally ill. And so initially, Braley took on the appeals process mm-hmm. for Lowell's case. And he fought his conviction for multiple reasons. First, he argued that an insanity plea should have been accepted because Lowell had been diagnosed as schizophrenic. He also argued that the jury should have been instructed that had they accepted his plea of not guilty by reason of insanity, that he would have been sent to a state hospital. It's not like he would have just been free to live his life among them. And they weren't given that instruction. Yeah. And then third, he argued that Lowell's confession to his pastor should have been protected information and that the clergyman should not have been able to testify at trial about the confession. Mm-hmm. These appeals stretched out for a couple of years. And Braley, along with the co-counsel, actually earned Lowell three different stays of execution during that time. And the appeals process even extended. They took it all the way to the Kansas Supreme Court. Ultimately, though, the Supreme Court ruled that the lower court had made the right decisions at trial. And they upheld Lowell's conviction and sentence. The opinion of the Supreme Court said that an insanity defense didn't work because while Lowell had been diagnosed as schizophrenic, three different psychiatric professionals had agreed that he did not exhibit signs of being insane at the time that he committed the murder. See, I've never understood this. Right. Never understood right. it at all. They said that because immediately after he attempted to cover it up and then when he told the pastor about it, he said that he knew he deserved to be punished. That meant that he understood the consequences of what he did and therefore was not legally insane. They did not meet the burden of proving legal insanity. Hmm. Additionally, they said that it was the judge's call on whether he should instruct the jury about what would happen if they chose to find him not guilty by reason of insanity. So they said, yeah, that was absolutely the judge's call, and he's free to make that call how he wants, so it's fine that he didn't give them the instruction that that's what happened if they found him not guilty. I don't like that because, yeah, if the jury thinks we either have to find him guilty and sentence him to death or he'll just be out wandering around if we accept the plea, like... Then they really have no choice, Yeah, in my opinion. Yeah, I agree. I think they should be told that, you know, should you accept this plea of not guilty by reason of insanity, then this is what will happen. Yeah, yeah. He will be, you know, institutionalized institutionalized and, and subject to care and get the mental health care that he needs. Yeah. I think that is important to tell the jury. Of course it is. 
Thirdly, the opinion said that the argument about Lowell's confession to his pastor was not applicable, first, because he's Baptist, and Baptist pastors don't adhere to the same laws of confession that, say, Catholic priests do. It's not believed to be a confidential thing. You know, you go to mm-hmm. you go yeah, to yeah, yeah. confession in a Catholic church. And so there are laws about that, about that being confidential, and Baptist pastors don't fall yeah. under that same protection. Okay. And more importantly, what the opinion said was that when he gave his confession to his pastor, The pastor asked Lowell if he wished it to be private, and he said, you know, we can do this between us, and then I can get you the best lawyer that we can find, Mm -hmm. or if you'd like to make this an official statement, I'll get the officers in here, and we can put this official statement down, and we can move forward with this as best we can. And in that moment, Lowell said, bring them in, and he chose to make an official confession at that time. Yeah. Following this decision, so this was when the Kansas Supreme Court brought down this opinion, Braley said that he had done his duty in this case and that there was little else that could be done short of getting this U.S. Supreme Court to look at the case. And he thought that that seemed unlikely. And so he essentially gave up the fight at that time. But one of Lowell's other attorneys, a Topeka man named James Ahrens, H, I'm sorry, A-H-R-E-N-S, Ahrens. Sure, whatever. So he continued the fight and he fought until the hour before Lowell's execution. Oh. He was quoted as saying, the hard fact remains that a youth who is seriously mentally ill is being executed. Yeah, I hate this. Yeah. I I never know what to say in these things because yeah. I'm anti-death penalty all the time. Yeah. I can't imagine putting someone to death at all, let alone someone who's mentally yeah. ill. Yeah. Absolutely. What the fuck? Yeah. On November 29th, 1962, Lowell Andrews ate his final meal of fried chicken. So I actually came across two different versions of what his final meal were. So I'm going to share them both. Okay. One said his last meal was two fried chickens with sides of mashed potatoes, green beans, and pie a la mode. That sounds delicious. The other one said his last meal was fried chicken, french fries, lettuce, like a head of lettuce wedged, Hmm. and then soda with vanilla ice cream and strawberries and cigars. Ew. Yeah. I like the first one. I like the first one way better. So he ate his last meal. And then just after midnight on November 30th, 1962, Lowell Lee Andrews was hung. When asked if he had any final words, he smiled and said, no, I don't think so. Hmm. When asked if he had any final requests again, he said no. Spectators said, well, what could your final request? Yeah, I don't know. Don't kill me. Yeah. Spectators said he looked disinterested all the way through his final moments. Before he died, so before he was taken from his cell to the gallows to be hung, he actually handed Richard Hickok a stanza from a poem by Thomas Gray, and it concluded, The paths of glory lead but to the grave. Hmm. That's the story of Lowell Lee Andrews. I'm so disturbed by that. later. So, schizophrenia... In men, it's more common in men, right? More common in men and, and it, typically diagnosed somewhere around 20 years of age. So he yeah. was 18 when he murdered his family. So this guy was potentially just starting to... Uh, battle with ex- mental illness and not really know what the hell was going on with himself. Yeah. Yeah. And then he was murdered by the state of Kansas. Yep. Great. He is one of the last people that was put to death by the state of Kansas. So Kansas still has the death penalty, but they have not put anybody yeah. to death for several decades. How do you feel about that? Uh, I think it's terribly sad. And I think it would not happen the same way today if this case was to happen today. Yeah. Because we have such a better understanding of mental illness. And I think the fact that in 1960, he had a lawyer who was fighting for him until the minute he died, like because he recognized what mental illness was. I think that's huge. Yeah. But obviously it wasn't enough to 
Well, and we still don't know shit about mental illness. No. At, at least I would hope, yeah, that we would yeah. do a better job today. Yeah, absolutely. Blah. But I just thought this is a local case with a tie to, like, the second most famous true crime book in history. And I had never heard of it. Yeah. Yeah, so thank nuts. you to This Day in Crime on Instagram for... All right. Thank you again yeah. for supplying Brandy with her That's cases. That's right. <laughs> As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. With LinkedIn Jobs, we tap into a network of more than a billion professionals to help you find quality professionals quickly and easily for any role you need. Marketing wizards? Found them. Software engineers? Found. That project manager I could never seem to hire? And found. LinkedIn Jobs quickly matches your roles with candidates with the right skills and experience. In fact, 86% of small businesses get a qualified candidate within 24 hours. Post your first job for free and get started at linkedin.com slash spoken. That's linkedin.com slash spoken. Terms and conditions apply. Well, and I have a big thank you to Copperboom15 in our Discord for my case this week. Excellent. She made this suggestion. I looked into it. I'd never heard of it before. Uh Uh-huh. I'm fascinated and very, very conflicted by this case. Okay. I love it and I hate it all at once. All right. Are we ready? Yes. First, old-timey disclaimer. Boom. Boom. Got it. It's an old one. Lots of different stuff. Blah. Yeah. Also, I've been debating where to say this. So you're just going to say it right at the beginning? I think I'm going to say it at the beginning. There are some newer articles that have been written about this case. Uh And... Well, I appreciate that they've been written because they're how I found this, Uh you know, like I never would have stumbled upon this case in the wild. For the most part, I really don't like the way they are written. Oh, okay. They're, well, we'll get into it. We'll get into it. Okay. It's just they're written in a certain way Uh and they don't provide the defense's side at all, which I think even when it looks like it's very obvious what happened, why the hell wouldn't you include someone's defense? Yeah. So anyway. Okay. So I'm not shouting out anyone except for newspapers.com because I found a lot of good articles written at the time of the trial okay. about this. Excellent. All right. There we go. Jessie Costello was really something. She was a flapper. She had short hair, tight clothes, an ample bosom, Ooh. and an even bigger personality. Okay. Every article, like, people were obsessed with what she looked like. Wow. The awkward thing about it, and I'm sorry for being a butthole. Okay. She's not that hot. I don't know. Like, every every article is about how... Maybe so much of it's her personality, and you can't see that in a picture. But the articles say she's beautiful. Oh, and you don't think she's beautiful? Google Jesse Costello, okay? Just give it a Google. Oh. Yep. She's a bit more mannish than I would have... <laughs> So 
I read in one of the articles later was she was like, no, I don't I don't have my eyebrows plucked. I think, you know, it gives women an artificial look. Okay, so here's something interesting. I think in this picture, she does look stunning. But mm-hmm. in this picture, not so much. Yeah, I mean, it kind of depends on... And, you know, this is back in the day where they didn't take a million shots of you. You got yeah. one shot, kind of like our ninth grade photo, uh, photos that we right. put up on Patreon. Like, yeah. you get one shot if the lighting's bad or if the angle's yeah. bad, you're just screwed. So one day in 1919, she was out selling poppies for World War. Well, I think they called it the Great War at that time. In this article, it said the World War. Oh. I know, which was weird because I thought it was Norm, called the Great didn't War. Didn't they call too. it the Great War? World War One. Yeah. yeah. Yes. See, in this article, it just said the World War. And I was, like, waiting for the one. And then I realized, oh, wait, no, they don't don't know what's coming. So she was selling these poppies for veterans Uh when she went into the Peabody, Massachusetts firehouse to see if any of the firefighters wanted to buy a poppy. One of them did. He wanted more than a poppy. (laughs) His name was Bill Costello. The two hit it off, and they got married when Jesse was 21. But... Married life was pretty boring. Bill was a strict Catholic, and he wasn't that into laughing or talking (laughs) or having fun. He spent most of his time worrying and talking about his indigestion. Oh, wow. Really? Yeah, that's that's (laughs) what the articles say. So by the time she was 30, Jessie was a housewife with four kids and a very serious husband, life was dull. But that all changed when she met a police officer named Edward McMahon. McMahon. McMahon, yeah, okay. Yeah. <laughs> Ed was also... Like Ed McMahon? Like the Ed McMahon? M-C-M-A. That's how Ed McMahon spells it. Okay, well, that's just weird. Yeah. Anyway, Ed was married. Did he also host Star Part-time police officer, full-time host of Star Search. <laughs> Jesse and Ed were all over each other. Okay, one story described him as lumpish. No. Oh. And none too bright. Ooh. But one woman's lump is another woman's treasure. Wow. Okay, other articles described him as very handsome. I thought the pictures of him weren't bad. Lumpish. Can you imagine being I, described as I, lumpish? sounds very hurtful. <laughs> I know. <laughs> I cry a long time. Yes. So these two are banging on the reg, and Jesse even had a nickname for Ed. What was it? Big boy. Oh! Big boy! Oh, big boy! (laughs) Norm, you jealous? Mm. (laughs) Big boy! (laughs) Ed brought a level of excitement to Jesse's life that hadn't been there before. To make things extra complicated and weird, for a while, Ed, his wife, and their two kids all lived with the Costellos. What? Yeah. How'd that happen? <sighs> kind of makes me sad. My understanding of Bill was that he was a very nice man and uh-huh. a very, like, you know, he was a good Catholic. I yeah. think he, he believed that if someone was down on their luck, they should take him in. Yeah. And man, I'm sure Jesse was very interested in taking yeah. Ed in <sighs> to her vagina. <laughs> Oh, is yes. that now what you're going to say? That's exactly what I was going to say. <laughs> I was skidding to a halt. So this affair is going on for about two and a half months. And then on February 17th, 1933, 
a door-to-door fudge saleswoman. What? <laughs> what? Don't you wish that still existed? I wish existed? that existed. Named Nellie Ayers came to Jesse's house. Jesse invited Nellie inside, and Nellie asked Jesse if she'd like to buy some fudge. And, you know, obviously, who's going to say no to fudge? Yeah. Only a psycho. So Jesse said yes. In fact, she wanted a whole pound of fudge. All the fudge. Give me all, all the, the fudge. fudge. Nellie's like, the fudge? <laughs> Nellie's like, awesome. Do you want to be a door to door fudge saleswoman, Brandy? No, I would eat all of my stock. <laughs> <laughs> you just show up with chocolate all over your They're like, may I help you? And you're like, oh uh, shit, no, uh, sorry. You like to pre order some fudge? <laughs> <laughs> So Jesse said, hang on just a second. I need to go upstairs and grab my purse. Jesse goes upstairs. All of a sudden, Nellie heard screaming. Jesse said, my husband, he's dead. And he was dead. Real dead? Bill was dead on the bathroom floor. From what? Excellent question. Jessie quickly ushered Nellie out of the house. She said, I can't think of sweets at a time like this. She did not say that. That's what the article oh said. Oh, my gosh. Wait, I also read somewhere that, like, Nellie was pissed about this. What? Which is like, okay, are you kidding me? Are you kidding me? Nellie, I know, husband you, dead. I know you wanted to make a sale, but, I mean, come on. So Nellie leaves. The police come. They take Bill's body. And it was just so sad. The doctors said that Bill had died probably from a heart attack, just heart trouble. Of some sort. Mm. Mm. Terribly tragic. Yes. We often do cases where someone dies of natural causes. <laughs> and that's the end. You know, <laughs> heart disease is a big problem. But we're... Thank you for coming to our town. <laughs> <laughs> Don't eat a whole pound of fudge. That's what I'm trying to say. <laughs> Words spread around town and people were like, heart mm. trouble? I don't think so. Turns out, Jesse had gone to the pharmacy the night before Bill died. She poisoned him? Well, she had bought some cyanide, if oh, you must know. What was she planning to do with cyanide? She just had some rats she was trying to kill? Well, don't worry. The excuses are coming. Okay. Plus, everyone knew that Jesse was having an affair with Lumpy Ed. I mean, everyone Did Bill knew. Know? Yes. <gasps> Bill knew? Ed's wife knew. I mean, these two were not keeping any secrets Everyone knew about this affair. What the hell? And a heart attack? Bill was only 38. Oh, yeah. He was super healthy. He'd been in good spirits. So pretty soon, yeah, the rumors... Usually before they have a heart attack, they're in terrible spirits. <laughs> well, that's going to come into... <laughs> oh, okay. 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 Pretty soon, the rumors got so... the number one sign that you're having a heart attack, or you're about to have a heart attack, is that you're in a bad mood. Well... How about this? How about this, sassy pants? <laughs> Sometimes when you're poisoned, you could poison yourself. But if you're in good spirits, why would you do such a thing? Oh, I get what you're saying. There we go. You yeah. smell what I'm stepping in? Yes, right, I am. Right then, you know, <laughs> fudge off. Fudge off. <laughs> Pretty soon the rumors got so intense that even though the undertakers were in the process of embalming Bill's body... The police were like, uh, could, we, could we have that back oh real quick? Gosh. So they did a re-examination. This time they examined Bill's organs. And a pathologist, a toxicologist, and the medical examiner for Suffolk County all weighed in. And they were like, oh, this dude was poisoned. What? This guy had a cyanide. ton of cyanide <gasps> in his body. His wife bought cyanide the day before. <laughs> 
It didn't take long for investigators to develop a theory. Clearly, Jesse Costello was in love with Ed, a.k.a. Big Boy. Big Boy. (laughs) (laughs) And Bill knew about it. And he wanted the affair to end, but she couldn't stand it. And he was tired of being called Small Boy. (laughs) (laughs) She also wanted the insurance money. How much? Five grand. Ooh. Don't worry. Later, I will adjust that for inflation, but I can't remember it at all right now. (laughs) On March 17th, 1933, Jessie was arrested. And soon, her trial began in Salem, Massachusetts. Ooh. But this was no ordinary trial. This was no witch hunt. That's what you should have said. Oh, damn, that was... (laughs) Damn it! (laughs) Real missed opportunity there. I can't get that back. So tons of people showed up. Everyone thought Jessie was super hot, super cool. Photographers captured her walking in and out of the court in beautiful clothes. Reporters wrote about her. And the way they wrote about her, okay, one called her a glamorous siren. Another said she had all the modest sex appeal of Lady Godiva, plus clothing, but minus horse. Minus horse. <laughs> you said horse. <laughs> no horse. No horse. <laughs> Bottom line, people were obsessed with her. Love letters poured in. One source said 500 a day, which seems crazy. Very excessive. But these shenanigans didn't stop at the courthouse steps. Brandy, the bailiff, sent her roses every morning, which... How is that not against the rules? I, I don't know. Yeah, I don't know. She had a jury of 12 married men. And one of them, okay, one source said just one. The other source said all of them asked the court's permission to send her candy. What? <laughs> well, you know, you know how it is. I know she never got to buy that fudge. <laughs> <laughs> you think they heard that story and they were they like, that, is, like so that sad. is so sad. This woman has had a hankering for fudge for months. <laughs> The prosecution's case was circumstantial, mm-hmm. but, I mean, not bad. Yeah. In opening arguments, District Attorney Hugh Gregg called Jesse a frivolous woman, extravagant, deceptive, profane, and vulgar. Oh. I know. Oh. He said that she was promiscuous, both in the traditional sense of the word and financially. Oh. Okay, so here's what I don't like. A lot of modern articles on her... Well, no, no, no. I'll say, I'll wow. save it. I'll fucking save it, okay? Okay, fucking save it, Kristen. <laughs> <laughs> he said that she was in a tough spot financially. Oh, here we go. But Bill had a $5,000 life insurance policy. So she killed him so that she could cash in. Adjusted for inflation? Almost a hundred grand. Wow. That's a chunk of change. Mm-hmm. The prosecution was also like, give me a break. There's no way that Jesse discovered her husband's dead body when the fudge lady arrived in the house. They I'm called, sure Nellie was like, um, excuse me, can, can, we can, stop? can you not be calling me the fudge lady, please? Okay, I have something to confess. What? Like, every article called her a candy saleswoman, uh-huh. but one article said she was a fudge saleswoman. <laughs> and I just think that's funnier. It is funnier. And bottom line, she wanted to buy the fudge, so... <laughs> Everybody shut up. (laughs) They called a witness who said that on the last day he was alive, Bill had been at the wake Uh for a friend, and he'd been there until like 2.15 in the morning. What kind of fucking wake is that? I don't know how it works. I don't... I wonder... Well, no, that's that's sitting Shiva. See, I don't... I don't know. Don't in some religions, don't you like sit with the family 
till yeah for like seven days that's, right yeah okay i'm i'm how. sorry guys i i know nothing beyond my bubble um <laughs> anyway bottom line he was there till two fifteen in the morning then he was like okay i've got to be a pallbearer tomorrow i'm gonna go home get some rest jesse's story was that bill came home and she saw him asleep in bed around eight in the morning mm-hmm. and at some point after that he must have gotten up and committed suicide what Yes, Brandy. That doesn't make any sense. Well, a- if he was full of poison and she didn't do it, then what do you want? Maybe she put the cyanide in the bathroom oh. and he got up after being out at 2.15, drinking his sorrows away at this wake. I'm guessing there was alcohol there. So I don't know what else you're doing until 2.15. And then he got up in the morning and he went to take some aspirin for his splitting headache and mm-hmm. he accidentally took cyanide. That'd be a much better defense. The defense is that she had capsules of cyanide. Yeah, in an they, are, they already tablet? know that she had. She bought the cyanide at the pharmacy, but the not day in before. capsule form. Well, yeah, I don't know what form it's in, but maybe she accidentally set it right next to the aspirin. Well, she didn't buy it in capsule form. How do, well, I don't know that. You haven't told us that yet, Kristen. Oh, is this my fault? Yes. <laughs> Here I am coming up with a perfect defense for Jesse Costello. I I question you greatly, ma'am. <laughs> So, yeah, he got up and committed suicide. What form was this cyanide in that he got up and decided to take? It was in pill form, according to the... Pill form, yes. So he got up and took pills of cyanide thinking they were aspirin. Why would an innocent person put cyanide into pills and then leave them in the bathroom? Well, I don't know what she was planning with them, but they sell cyanide and pills, so she was able to just get that at the pharmacy, so there must they have been... They don't sell cyanide and pills. They obviously do if she bought them at the pharmacy! No, she didn't buy them in pill form. Brandy! Ah! <laughs> it's like powdery when you buy it at the pharmacy. You just said she had it in pill form! Okay. Hold. <laughs> you know what? I should have told you to buckle the fuck up. <laughs> we will get to this later. Okay. But you buy it in powder form because you're not supposed to ingest it. Right. But obviously, at some other point, you could go buy capsules, empty capsules, which you could put the powder into the capsules. So she made cyanide capsules is what you're telling me. That's what the prosecution is telling you, Brandy. (laughs) All right. Uh Uh-huh. And what was her excuse for that? Would you... Can you wait? Can you wait? (laughs) No, I obviously can't. (laughs) Okay. So, Bill committed suicide. All right? And Jesse didn't find his body until that fudge saleswoman came in. She made capsules because she was so upset with the way her life was going. She couldn't handle not getting to be with her love, Ed McMahon. And so she was going to kill herself. And she accidentally. No way. Foolishly no left way. the capsules no, out. No, absolutely not. And then not. Bill took them thinking they were aspirin. That is your worst theory. No. I'm saying that's a better defense than whatever she's going to say. Okay. Okay. Let's see, shall we? <laughs> yeah. Let's but the prosecution was like, give me how the fuck do you explain making cyanide capsules? Well, the defense is obviously going to say she never did that. Well, then how the fuck were there cyanide capsules in the house? They didn't find cyanide capsules in the house. Where'd they find what? In the dude's body. They were in capsule form still in his body. There was, there was a gelatin in his body, an amount of gelatin that indicated to the medical examiner. Okay. He ingested this poison via pill. Okay. All right. All right. Okay. Norman, can you believe this woman? (laughs) It's 
good content. (laughs) (laughs) So the prosecution's like, give me a break. You had to have known there was a dead body in your bathroom. There's no way you discovered your husband's body when you say you did. Why not? So that's interesting to me. And part of me is like, well, okay, let's keep going. They called a civil engineer to testify, which this seems like overkill. But anyway, the guy testified to the layout of the Costello home. Okay. And the engineer was like, yeah, given the layout of this house, I don't see you could have a dead guy laying around without anybody noticing. The other thing I wonder is how many bathrooms no, were in no. this place? No, I know. How many bathrooms Probably only one, given I'm the guessing, time Given period. the time, there's one bathroom. But, hmm. And it all depends on when exactly he died, because, yeah. I mean... Maybe Jessie's not like me, where she pees every 25 minutes. No, maybe minutes. she's been hanging out in the living room, and the bathroom's towards the back of the house. Mm-hmm. I'm not, I don't think, I don't believe this, I'm not buying this civil engineer. I think it could happen. Okay. Dr. George McGrath, who was like super fancy pants. He was the medical examiner for Suffolk County and a professor of legal medicine at Harvard, whatever the hell that is. And by that, I mean, I've never heard of Harvard. <laughs> shared, shared a theory that Bill's body had been moved after he was dead. How could she tell that with her legal medicine degree? Her? This was 1933. Oh. There was no her. I you said her. No, I you said she. No, I no. She said she testified. A woman doctor. <laughs> so, you see, it all came down to livid spots on the body. Yeah, lividity, right? Where the blood was, mm-hmm, where the blood had settled. Mm-hmm. So he's saying, you know, this is all about where the blood settled. This happens thanks to gravity. The livid spots occur in parts of the body that lay on the floor. This testimony was long, kind of convoluted. So I'll just tell you, he thought that Bill should have been in a particular position, given the amount of poison he ingested and the Uh fact that he took it orally, not anally. (laughs) But but he wasn't discovered in that position. (laughs) I'm sorry, I realized I said orally in here. It's like, well, how else is he going to get it? (laughs) The prosecution called a pharmacist who said that, yes, he'd sold Jesse that cyanide the night before. And he'd warned her that it was a deadly poison. By the way, apparently Bill was like in the car waiting while Jesse... Well, she bought it? Yeah, I know. During the autopsy, the medical examiner had noticed a gelatin-like substance in Bill's stomach. Good grief. I've already gone over this because you flipped out. Um, this indicated that perhaps he'd swallow Where'd the- she buy the capsules, Kristen? <gasps> God damn it! <laughs> sure enough, the prosecution was able to find evidence that Jesse had purchased empty pill capsules four months before Bill. Four months? Which I'm kind of like... so. I found that in an overview of this case. I couldn't find an actual article talking about, like, how the hell did they find that? Yeah. I mean, mm. I assume there was, like, one pharmacy she went to. Yeah. But how do you even remember? Hmm. Anyway. Okay. Also, four months before he died, that was before she started up the affair. Yeah. I, I don't know. I'm kind of like, mm, okay, mm. team. Okay. Mm. The prosecution called a doctor who said that just a pinch of the poison found in Bill's body would be enough to kill a guinea pig in two minutes. Well, he's not a guinea pig. I he's know. A human I, man. I think it's what? It's so weird. <laughs> Super weird. Usually, when they say that, it's like an elephant. <laughs> but just a small amount would kill a guinea pig. <laughs> so weird. Which it's like I don't know what his point was. Like, right? What this is, is his point? This is a lot of poison. Friends of Bill's testified that he'd been in excellent health and in excellent spirits. 
Yeah. Which, okay. It's a great mood. Yeah, great mood. Okay, now Brandy gets that. She freaked out about that, too. <laughs> As the trial progressed, the judge got more and more annoyed about what a spectacle it was becoming because it, it was getting nuts. Uh-huh. I mean, tons of people were showing up. Everyone wanted a front row seat. I mean, there was nothing interesting going on except for this trial. Yeah. Okay, at one point in this trial, and I'm not sure why this was relevant, but someone was doing their testimony and just happened to mention that Bill had been buried in the underwear that he'd been discovered wearing. What? Does that make sense? Like, yeah, the, yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, okay. They so, never changed his undies. Yeah, they didn't change his undies. Okay, again, I'm not sure why that was relevant, <laughs> but at any rate, the important thing is it was said at trial okay and apparently a bunch of women in the gallery started giggling uh-huh. and the judge got lost it pissed he said the women had no brains oh and ordered deputy sheriffs to remove the spectators oh mm-hmm. okay the article also said that some of the women kicked the guards in the shin and i'm like would that really happen yeah who knows who knows anyway The prosecution also pointed out that Jesse collected Bill's life insurance immediately. Like, she tried to get that before he was even buried. Wow. Which, I will say, if you're the mother of three children, because one of their children had died, you're a mother of three children, you're a housewife, your sole source of income is gone, I don't think that looks that bad that she would immediately try to get the life insurance. Yeah, no, I don't either. So everybody can shut up. (laughs) Then... There was the testimony of Ed McMahon. Oh. A.K.A. Big Boy. Big Boy. <laughs> Ed was asked about his affair with Jesse. And, okay, this is where it gets complicated. He did not hold back, but the journalists did. Hmm. So he got the nickname the Kiss and Tell Cop because his testimony was so explicit. But, wow. But a lot of journalists refused to print it. Oh, yeah. So it's, what year is it? 1933. Yeah. But they were printing all kinds of other crap about her being Lady Godiva with mm-hmm. clothes, but no horse. <laughs> <laughs> so one publication did print up like a special edition booklet thing Ooh. that was red. Ooh, and of course, very it, racy. it all sold the racy details. Very well. I bet it did. Do you have the details for us? Okay. I can provide you a little bit. Okay. So here's what I was able to find from Ed's testimony. He said that Bill found out about the affair and obviously was super pissed. And he overheard Bill say to Jesse, you better stay away from that boy or I'll break you in half. Ooh. Jesse was a bit of a coog. Yeah. In this case. Much like yourself. And yourself. So. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not as big a coog as you. <laughs> You're right. <laughs> I'm twice the coog you are. <laughs> But he also said that Bill seemed to know he would die soon. What? Mm-hmm. Elaborate. <laughs> Ed claimed that he overheard Bill say to Jesse, if anything should happen to me, Dr. Pomeroy and Eddie will take care of you all right. Huh. Mm-hmm. Who's Dr. Pomeroy? I don't, I don't know. Town doctor? <laughs> Probably the town doctor who was like, this was a heart attack for sure. So a lot of his testimony centered around his recent hospitalization. He'd been in the hospital for appendicitis, and Jesse had visited him, like, a lot. And this is where things got awkward. Wait, Big Boy was in the hospital? Yeah, Big Boy had appendicitis, (laughs) and Jesse was, like, coming in to visit constantly. This is where things got awkward. The prosecution pressed Ed. He was like, what did you talk about when she visited you? And Ed was like, banging. Jesse talked a bunch about sex. Yeah. And the defense objected. Uh-huh. Because the defense's whole deal is like, no, 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 no. no this affair yeah. didn't happen. This is all fake news. Oh. 
And the judge said, all right, you're going to have to be more specific. So the prosecution's like, okay. And he said, do you remember an incident one morning when Mrs. Costello was in your room when Dr. Pomeroy called? And Ed was like, yes, Jesse ran behind the door. Dr. Pomeroy said, don't be foolish, Jesse, or something like that. What? And the prosecution said, will you tell me what her actions were with you at the hospital? <gasps> and Ed goes, Jesse was very improper. Ooh. Yeah, which is, I'm like, okay, I'm sure you weren't improper at <laughs> yeah. all. Yeah. Once again, the defense is like, objection. And the judge said, all right, let's have all the boring details. And this article from the Boston Globe concludes that portion of testimony, like total cliffhanger, by saying, and the witness gave them with embarrassment. <gasps> so he I gave all the details and he blushed the whole time. Yeah. So I could have dug deeper, kind of ran out of time, but I tried different articles and a lot of them kind of in this way of yeah. like, yep, we got all the details. So they're there, gentle reader. You can't hear this sex stuff. So some of them did go into a little bit of detail. But the bottom line was that Ed's testimony was that they were having an affair. It wasn't much of a secret. And for two and a half months, they were hooking up. And I'm quoting here. Pretty near every day. Woo. That's a lot of. That's a lot of banging. A lot of sexy times. He also said that when Bill died, Jesse called him. And she said, it's come. And he said, What's come, Jesse? <laughs> Had me want to go home. <laughs> and she said, Bill is dead. Oh. Jesse's defense was complicated. Defense attorney Bill Clark attacked Ed McMahon, said Star Search was a piece of shit. <laughs> <laughs> said the guy was a piece of shit. He cheated on his wife. Oh, by the way, Ed's wife had to testify, Ooh. which seemed unnecessary yeah, to me. Yeah, that's harsh. Um, yeah. It's like way harsh, Ty. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> this guy cheated on his wife. He'd betrayed his good friend Bill. And Bill had been nothing but kind to Ed. This was all made up. Also... Bill had killed himself. He was very upset about his indigestion, and he couldn't take it anymore. <laughs> he took his own life. His friends who said he was happy were all wrong. Hmm. And that pharmacist, well, he was a liar. He never warned Jesse about the dangers of cyanide. She walked out of that pharmacy thinking that cyanide was a perfectly effective cleaner for her brass boiler. Really? That's what she bought it for? That's what she says. Hmm. Here's the thing. Jesse's younger brother, Andrew, had lived with the Costellos for a little while, and he testified that that was how the Costellos cleaned their boiler. Honest to God. He said he'd seen Bill mix cyanide of potassium with oxalic acid. How do you say that? O-X-A-L-I-C? O-X. What? One more time. O-X-A-L-I-C. Oxalic, yeah. Oxalic. Okay, so that was the combination that she bought the uh -huh. night before. And her younger brother was like, yeah, that's what they bought to clean the boiler. And I saw Bill mix those two things several times to clean the boiler. How often are you having to clean the boiler? I don't know. Huh. But the prosecution was like, oh, yeah. Well, if the Costellos were making these purchases regularly, why isn't there any record of it? Mm. Which, again, I'm like, well, how, how detailed were the records right. back then of what you had and hadn't purchased? Yeah. I don't think there's any record of what you had to purchase. <laughs> <laughs> the poor person who had to record that. They bought one t-shirt, medium, they did not buy, and then they list everything else in the store. Another thing that the defense said the prosecution got wrong was the affair. 
It didn't happen. Oh, okay. The truth was that Jesse and Ed had a spiritual connection. Mm. It was not physical okay. at all. You know all the spiritual yeah, connections you're constantly Ed having. Yeah, just Duke. got up there and talked about having to bang her morning, noon, and night for no reason. What do you mean for no reason? I don't think he would have lied about that. Why not? Why would he? Yeah, exactly. It doesn't make him look good. No, it makes him look terrible. Yes! <laughs> when Jessie took the stand, she was pretty effective. In fact, I'm going to say she was very effective. She told the jury that, yes, she'd had four children, but now had only three. The couple's 17... to the other kid? So the couple's 17-month-old son, William Jr., keep your pants on, had died. <laughs> and after the child died three years ago, Bill wasn't the same. He'd always been serious... But after their son died, he became very, very quiet. He started praying for hours a day. Then her mother, who Bill had always loved and gotten along with, died. She said, there wasn't a day went by after my mother died that Bill didn't wish he had gone with her. Wow. As the trial went on, Jesse would occasionally chit-chat with the jury. During breaks, four of the men on the jury formed a barbershop quartet. What? Uh-huh. <laughs> and they sang songs to the crowd of onlookers like, Let Me Call You Sweetheart and My Wild Irish Rose. What? <laughs> Nothing weird at all. By the way, like, a year after the end of this trial, the jury got together and had dinner and sang songs together. What? Super fucking weird. So they, weird. they all had a grand time. Oh my gosh. Finally, at the end of the trial, the defense told the jury, you have no right to try Jesse Costello on suspicion. You have no right to try her on mere probabilities. There is no duty upon this defendant to establish here how Bill Costello met his death, whether by murder, suicide, or accident. Wow. Mm-hmm. Bill Clark argued that Jesse was a great mother, a great wife, all the evidence against her was circumstantial. It was an outrage. And that doctor who gave that testimony about the livid spots on the body, shame on him. He was a disgrace to his profession. Wow. Judge Friedrich Fostick issued his instructions to the jury. Friedrich Fostick? I know. I was trying to breeze past him. <laughs> he was like, hey, I know Ed McMahon said some pretty scandalous, sexy stuff in here, guys. We were all super turned on. I get it. It's fine. But please... Good thing I had this robot. <laughs> okay. Okay. I wasn't going to say this, but apparently at one point during this testimony, the judge's chair started squeaking and got what? all weird. And the judge started laughing. I guess a spring had, like, broken in his chair. So, yeah. I mean, anyway, things were happening. Things were happening. So, he's like... Remember, when people are banging each other, they have a tremendous power over one another. Mm. Here's what he said. His testimony has been stoutly attacked and defended. It is of great importance, and you will submit it to careful and thorough test. Much of his testimony deals with sex relations. In judging the truth, it would be well to remember that sexual influence exerts tremendous power over thoughts and actions. Wow. Which, yeah. Yeah. Okay. The jury went into deliberation. They talked it over for about two hours, and they found her not guilty. Did they really? Yes. What do you think of that? I'm shocked. Yeah. They put up no defense, essentially. Like, Well, what, what do you mean? They just said all of those people who said that stuff were wrong. They didn't really give up much of a... Well, what should they have said? I don't. I told you what they should have said. No, you're... you're that was crazy. No, that was the best defense. I mean... What if he did commit suicide? I think it's possible. Yeah, so that's what they said. Yeah. So why? what was wrong with that? 
Um, because I don't think they uh, like gave much of an explanation for how he did it, but I think that that's fine. I think it is possible. Yeah, I, I do. do too. I do too. Okay, so here, especially was the- when you think about the timing, it's the Great Depression. He's probably not providing mm-hmm. for his family like he thinks he should be. This gives them life insurance. His wife is cheating on him. Yeah, that he lost could- a child. Yeah, yeah. I think it's very possible. So this is why I get mad about the newer articles. The newer articles are written in this way of like, oh, she was a crazy slut, blah, 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 blah. And I'm like, can mm. we do better than that yeah. today? And, you know, I think there is probably an argument for like, there's a good chance she did this. Yeah, but I think there's a good chance she did it. I'm not impressed when they don't include details like he'd lost his son. Yeah. They did have that stuff in the house regularly to clean the, the yeah, brass so boiler. Maybe, and there. maybe that yeah. was wrong. Maybe that was a lie. Yeah. But you've got to at least include it, right? Yeah. That someone testified to that. Yeah. Anyway. <sighs> I just don't think this is as cut and dry as No, I think there's a lot of questions. Yeah. So, Jesse Costello was acquitted. She went home to be with her kids, and the press asked how she felt about Ed. Here's what she said. I love her quotes, by the way. McMahon will never enter this house again. Neither will Mrs. McMahon. They couldn't do it. They wouldn't dare. But I don't mean by that that I am vengeful. I am not the vengeful type. What he said on the witness stand, the brazen way he lied, no longer bothers me. So far as I'm concerned, he's a closed book. He's no longer important enough to bother about. Wow. Yeah. Damn. Then she said, I can well afford to dismiss him in this way. I am vindicated. He will never be vindicated for what he did. Even those who defended him don't appear to be showing it now. Dive Pierce, the Peabody chief of police, got upon the witness stand and commended him for his bravery. But I noticed Dive didn't give him a job on the force. Ooh. Yeah. Wow. She told the press that her current concern was supporting her three children. Yeah. How would she financially support three children with her husband gone? Turns out she had some opportunities. A fudge salesman. <laughs> That had already been taken by Nellie. Oh, I'm sorry. <laughs> right off the bat, she got offered $1,100 to appear on a New York stage for four days, which I'm like, what the fuck does that mean? Yeah. Just go on Stand stage there? and like answer questions? I don't know. Adjusting for inflation? It's almost $48,000. Wow. For four days' work? I know. Not bad. Ooh. I mean, it's nothing like what we get. No. Nah. You know? <laughs> <laughs> Jesse was living the good life. Oh, wait, I'm sorry. I almost skipped something. Then she sold the rides to her life story. Yeah. That netted her $2,400. Oh, I'm sorry. Oh, damn it. I got this all messed up. Okay, that was $48,000. The 1100 that was $22,000. Anyway, we all get it. It's a lot of money. It's a lot of money. Jessie was living the good life. She had an agent. She had a maid. She had tons of money. She had a new wardrobe. She went on vacations with new friends. She did high-profile interviews. The press really hounded her. I found one article that was like, uh, Miss Jessie Costello bought a hat today. That's her That's her eighth new hat. Wow. Oh, my God, down. She had so many opportunities that she had to turn some of them down. She was offered 20 grand to perform in a 10-week burlesque show. Oh. Adjusted for inflation. Brandy, why are you moving that's her? that's what she's going to do. No. With the tassels. Almost... Uh. Uh, Almost four hundred thousand uh, dollars. She turned it down. Yeah. Wow. It didn't seem classy. Which again, the modern articles are like, if you can believe it, she turned it down. It's like, oh. So this, 
this yeah. woman has to do whatever. Whatever. Yeah. Again, if she's a murderer, then I feel weird about defending her. And she's yeah. probably a murderer. She probably but, is a murderer. But I don't like the way she's being written yeah. about. Yeah. Well, because if she was a dude, she wouldn't be written about that. No, like, exactly. Yeah. Exactly. So, you know, she's getting all these offers coming in. She's turning down some of them. But here's turning the thing. Turning down the tassels. Oh, God. <laughs> It's really weird to see someone in a sweatshirt trying to move her boobs around. Those things aren't budging. I wasn't budging. trying to move my boobs. Oh, I was really? trying to move my tassels. <laughs> Do you always have tassels hidden 100% under your sweatshirt? <laughs> I'm never not wearing tassels. <laughs> so, the thing was, <laughs> a lot of people really hated Jesse Costello. And they thought she was a murderer. Mm-hmm. And a murderer who'd gotten away with it. So they didn't like the idea that she was profiting off of this story. Right. So a lot of people who were in high up positions, like, you know, made those opportunities go bye bye. Yeah. So the opportunities to make money started to dry up. Jessie was riding high for a little while, but she wasn't famous famous. Yeah. She was a flash in the pan. All of a sudden, the money ran out. People weren't interested in her anymore. <gasps> What'd she do? They'd all heard the story. So she went back to the burlesque place and she's like, hey, guys, I'm ready to dance now. I'm just like Brandy. I've always got tassels on no matter what I'm wearing, no matter what I'm doing. Vacuuming? Tassels. Tassels. Do you think they had vacuums back in 1933? Yeah. All right. I have no idea. And they were like, really, given your enthusiasm for vacuums, you don't know? I don't know. I know and I love vacuums. Yeah. Guys. Norm, do you find out when the vacuum was invented? Thank you. 1901. Oh, wow. Wow. 30 years in. (laughs) Why are you acting like you knew that? <laughs> that shocks me, 1901. Okay. People had floor needs for a long time. Well, I know they had the need. I mean, we had the need for speed, but, you know, cars didn't come along until pretty late. So she goes back to the burlesque place. She's like, hey, guys, I'm ready to dance now. And they're like, and, and you, you are? are? Yeah. <laughs> so Jessie had to do something. She had to get back on top. So in October of 1933, she announced that she'd found Jesus. Oh. She was like, hey, everybody. Not what I thought you were going to say. What? I don't know, but that's probably the last thing I thought you were going to say. Found a bucket of money. Dinosaur bones. Uh, Hey, that'd be, oh, can you imagine? I love dinosaurs. The Jesse Costellosaurus. (laughs) She's like, hey, everybody, I'm super religious now, really into Mr. Jesus, ask me anything. And in fact, I'm teaming up with a famous evangelist, Mrs. Amy Simple McPherson. Okay, so I was like, all right, that's nobody. But actually, Amy Simple McPherson is a totally fascinating person. At the time, she was one of the most famous people living. Yeah, I know the name. Oh, do you? See, I I had no idea. So she's like the OG evangelist. She was famous for founding the Foursquare Church Mm -hmm. and was one of the first people to really bring religion to the masses via media. So she was a big radio. I was going to say, yeah, she had a radio program. So this was a huge opportunity. And Jessie blew it. Oh, she did? Would she cuss on the Jesus radio? No. So Jessie and Amy would be up there singing hymns. And again, don't love the way the modern articles are written about like, she just get, she's like she, she get, like, smacking her lips it. and her She'd hips are sweating. <laughs> so yeah, evidently Jesse's like bringing sexy back to church. <laughs> and the thing I wonder about is like, yeah, maybe she was doing that. Maybe, yeah. maybe it's true. That's yeah. the hard thing is like, maybe it's all accurate. Yeah. Or maybe. Maybe people are too hard on her. Maybe Amy 
didn't like sharing the spotlight. Yeah. Maybe, who knows? But anyway, uh, Amy was like, I just spoke to the Lord. He isn't into you more. Please, please pack your things and go. So eventually, Jesse and her children were evicted from the big home that they were living in. And they were left to live on the pension that Jesse was due as a widow of a veteran. Wow. For many years, Jesse lived a quiet life with no media attention. But then, one day, a farmer from New Hampshire showed up at her apartment. He told her that he had a little money and that he could support her and the children. Then he proposed. Just like that? Uh Uh-huh. And she said yes? She said no. Oh, thank God. But again, okay, I know I'm being a broken record, so I'm sorry. But the articles are like, and she had the nerve to say no. He's a stranger. Probably because because he was a farmer. Probably because he was a... No, he's a fucking stranger. It's it's like, all right, bitch, you go marry someone you don't know who showed up at your doorstep. Like, what the hell? So weird. So this made the news. And when a reporter asked why she... It made the news that she said no? Yes. When a stranger asked to marry her? Yes. Now, the article I read said it was a stranger, said he just showed up. But, like, yeah, bottom line, it wasn't like, oh, they'd been courting each other for a while. No, showed up. A reporter asked her why she'd turned down the proposal, and she said, I shall climb again. No. But she didn't. Mm. She and her children ended up on welfare, and she died in 1971 when she was 68 years old. But her funeral was huge. Like, 200 people showed up. The mayor was there. I mean... Mm. Yeah, and that's the story of the smiling widow. Wow, that was so good. I thought you'd like that. I did. You love, oh man. Well, you couldn't keep your pants on. Mm-hmm. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match with Indeed. When I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Norman, do we have any questions from the Discord? We sure do. Norman, did you just get a fresh haircut? Oh, you're looking so fresh. Yeah, my hair was real shaggy. Oh, so bad. I looked like Barton Fink. Who's that? Kristen. Barton Fink. Yeah. Do you know who that is? Kristen. <laughs> that's what he looks like. Yeah, that's what you look like. <laughs> Obscure, I think it's a Coen Brothers movie. Yeah, it is. Yeah. Obscure Coen Brothers movie. Yes. Do have questions from the Discord. How would a listener be able to ask their own question? Oh, what a weird way of asking that. <laughs> if someone listening right now. Uh huh. Wanted to ask and they a had question. A burning question. Well, all they How have they to do, do is sign up for our Patreon at the five dollar level or higher, because that gets you into the Discord. And at the end of our episodes, Norm goes to the Discord for us and says, "Hey guys, got any questions? Got any guapes?" <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 
and uh, we answer some of them. So head on over to uh, patreon.com slash LGTC podcast today and, you know, sign up. Flirty Quirty, Fee-Fi-Fo-Ferty, mm. <laughs> wants to know what your favorite seasonal beverage is. Ooh. Ooh. I have mine. I think it's going to be unpopular. What is it? Eggnog. Well, no, I love eggnog. I love eggnog, but I think people think it's really gross. People find it very polarizing. Yeah. I'm Norman not a fan of eggnog. I love eggnog. I do too. I so think it's creamy. so oh, good. Spicy. Oh. Yeah. Mm. 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 You know what? I I used to be obsessed with it, and you can't find it anywhere. <laughs> Di- I know you're going <laughs> to Diet Sierra Mist Cranberry Splash. <laughs> it It's a seasonal thing. I'm Googling this to see okay. if it actually exists. Ooh. Mm-hmm. What are you? It appears to be real. Okay, should I tell my story about yes. it? Yes. Okay. So, I mean, like 12 years ago, when I was working at the newspaper, we had our annual holiday party. And of course, it's a newspaper, so it's cheap as hell. So it's a potluck. And someone brought in Diet Sierra Mist Cranberry Splash. And my life was changed. <laughs> I loved it. Loved it. And so I was like, oh my gosh, I've got to get some more of this. Okay, I became obsessed. I drank it in the morning, drank it in the evening, drank Drink it, it at supper time. <laughs> Constantly. I had a thermos, like, usually for coffee. No, it was filled with diet, ceramic, cranberry splash. Loved it. One day, um, this was when Norman and I were first dating. Norman was going to go to the grocery store, and I was like, hey, can you please pick up diet, ceramic, cranberry splash? He's like, sure, no problem. He goes, and I get a call from him. And he's like, yeah, there's no diet. It's not here. And I they was, had regular, if I recall. Yeah, they had regular. Not and I was diet. like, no, I want the diet. And you're like, that's never existed. That's, that's never, never been a thing. Existed. So I went to my fridge because, you know, I obviously didn't let myself run out. Yeah. I go, I pull it out. And sure enough, it wasn't diet. It was regular. And I was like, did I, did I imagine, imagine this? the diet? And yeah. the whole time Norman was like, yeah, you imagined it. That's, you were never drinking diet anything. And I was like, what? Years went by. I want to say 10 years passed. And one day I was walking through the grocery store and I saw it. Diet Sierra Mist Cranberry Splash. I you were vindicated. I took that home, cradled it like a baby, <laughs> ran into the house, held it above my head. It does exist. It was a Christmas miracle. I can't find it anymore, though. And say I just got onto Hy-Vee's website and they do not carry it. Yeah, no one carries. And they it. carry like everything. It's not everything. real. It's not, no, it's real. Okay, you have just you can't considered doing a Sierra Mist, a Diet Sierra Mist, mm-hmm. and a Diet Cranberry cocktail, and doing like your own little? Yeah, that's a good idea. How much time do you think I have <laughs> on my? <laughs> I just think you'd have a similar result. I know you it's... would, and be a lot easier yeah. to find. They make this Diet Cranberry cocktail now that's like five calories per one cup serving it's okay. delicious too okay okay just splash it in yeah, your diet sierra splashy mist. okay i'm thinking about doing it now it sounds so good all right uh canada dry does make diet cranberry ginger no ale. God. What? <laughs> sounds terrible <coughs> <laughs> lester d 88 wants to know what usually agreed upon good movie do you dislike mm-hmm. i mean lord of the rings yeah. anything yeah i think that's gotta be it yeah people fucking love that thing i know snooze i mean 10 minutes in fell asleep mm-hmm. 
Norm, you got I one? I had a great nap. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Basically, you slept. <laughs> I'll have to think about that. Ooh, you don't have one on top of your head. Yeah. I will say I'm I'm not a big fan of old movies. Yeah, like you're not. Citizen Kane or On the Waterfront. Yeah, yeah. People are like, oh, these are classic. And I, I just think they're boring. You know what classic film I've never seen? Gone with the Wind? Yeah. Yeah. It sucks. I've never no, it seen doesn't it. Suck. It's terrible. It looks it's so fucking long, first of all. There we go. That's my pick, Gone with the Wind. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> your sister has a question, Brandy. Hmm. Ooh. It's actually really more about me, so maybe I shouldn't. Read this. it. If Die Hard isn't a Christmas movie, does that mean Gremlins isn't either? Gremlins is absolutely a Christmas movie. Yeah, and so is Die Hard. So is Die Hard. I'd say Gremlins is more of a Christmas movie than Die Hard. No, they are both equally Christmas movies. No. <laughs> the theme is not Christmas. I'm sorry. Gremlins more so because he gets. He gets Gizmo as an early Christmas gift. Yeah. So Gremlins, I can see. Die Hard, I, no. Okay, I have a spinoff question. Okay. Is The Nightmare Before Christmas a Halloween movie or a Christmas movie? It's a Christmas movie. No. Halloween. Yeah. It's both. Mm. It's well, both. Oh, you, know got a, trick you got question. me. It's both. No, you can watch me. it in both. Both. It's both. It is. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Anna Barbs wants to know, did you pass your driver's test on the first try? Ooh, I actually have a... So... What? So I passed my learner's permit test on the first try. And then for my learner's permit, I went to driver's ed and got my restricted license. And then my restricted license turned into my full driver's license on my 16th birthday. So I never had to go take another test. Oh. If you had your restricted, it automatically turned into a full unrestricted license when you turned 16, if you had taken driver's ed. Then that must have been what happened to me, because I don't remember taking... Now, I remember taking it in North Carolina, and it was a shit show. Oh, really? Yes. So, well, first of all, it was a shit show because I was unprepared. So (laughs) I walked in, and like... I didn't have all the paperwork, so I had to leave. <laughs> and then I came back, and I went through everything, but I didn't have a check on me. Oh, and Lord. they only accepted checks. So then I had to leave. I was pissed. Yeah. Pissed. Which, looking back, it's like, I don't know what to tell myself. <laughs> but I remember I was super arrogant, <laughs> so I didn't study at all. Excellent. Sounds like Kristen. <laughs> Does sound like Kristen. Yeah. <laughs> And, uh, yeah, I failed the first time because I didn't <laughs> study at all. So I had to go study and then oh, come no. back. Yeah. I was shocked the requirements to drive in Kansas when you told me, like, how little requirement there was. Yeah, there's almost yeah. none. It's yeah. crazy. North Carolina is much Yeah, I took a difficult. written test when I got my uh-huh. learner's permit. Mm-hmm. And then I took driver's ed, and it automatically then turned into my driver's license. Right, but driver's ed is not required. No. If you don't take yeah. driver's ed, you have to go take an actual driving test. So driver's ed is, is required in North Carolina, uh-huh. and a driving test is wow. required. Wow. Yeah, that seems, that seems like yeah, the that way seems it should be. Yeah, kind of normal. Yeah. <laughs> hmm, let's see. Rachel says, I'm making soup. Ooh, I like soup. That's her only comment. <laughs> no, there's, yeah, there's not a question? Kidding. I'm just kidding. I'm making what, soup? What is your favorite soup winter meal? Ooh. Soup slash winter meal. Okay, I used to have a favorite soup that you can't get anymore. Diet Sierra Mist Cranberry Splash no. in a bowl. No, is that my favorite <laughs> restaurant that you make fun of me oh, for? Oh, Mimi's Cafe. Yeah, I had this corn chowder that was so fucking good. 
Then all the Mimi's cafes are gone now. Yeah, because it was only you and 85-year-old women <laughs> going there. <laughs> I can't believe you liked Mimi's I cafe. loved it so much. Maybe you can come over and I'll give you a couple slices of honeydew and some cottage cheese. <laughs> <laughs> honeydew is the one melon I don't like. It doesn't taste like anything. Okay. The one melon I don't like. You you just like I so many fruit. <laughs> Raspberries? No. Honeydew? No. Kiwi? Yes. You do like kiwi? I like kiwi. Okay. Full of surprises. Bananas? Love. Okay. Okay. Well, I'm losing this battle, yeah. so I'll stop here. Come at me, Kristen. <laughs> you named the two fruits I don't like. Mangoes. Like them. Papayas. Like it. Hmm. So wait, you said you do like cantaloupe? Uh, cantaloupe is my favorite fruit. Right. Tell you what, you come o- <laughs> if you come over, <laughs> slice a cantaloupe, Yeah. little bowl of cottage cheese, oh, grilled chicken, language. no seasoning, yes. No and a free polydent. <laughs> Brandy, when we're old enough to Where's move my into muffin? The... <laughs> you came with it. <laughs> muffin. Oh, muffin for dessert. How dare you? <laughs> okay, so corn chowder for Brandy, Kristen. I mean, I kind of like all soups, but yeah, corn chowder is delicious. Oh, so I mean, good. if I had I, a... I will say, Kristen loves soup. I do too. Mm. She's a big soup fan. I'm not a big soup guy. But lobster bisque is hands oh, down well, the best yeah. soup ever made. I've never oh, had yeah. lobster bisque. Oh. Brandy. Is it cold? Shrimp bisque, no, is, shrimp no, bisque no. is fine too. That's a gazpacho. Oh, Nobody likes Ooh. that. Yeah, it's got like a lot of, uh, was it sherry? Yeah. It has a ton of sherry in it. Oh. It's delicious. Huh. I don't know. I don't know if I'd like it. <laughs> it's creamy. <laughs> do you not like seafood i love seafood oh you'd like it then no she likes she just likes like 50 percent of things <laughs> i don't like creamy things <laughs> actually but corn i like corn creamy. chowder i know and i like baked potato soup but i'm not a big clam chowder person and i actually like clams mm-hmm. But, mm-hmm. Mm. uh this is a question from anna barbs i don't know what it means but maybe you two do can okay. we hear more about Kristen's ball my ball? Your ball. Do, does she what? mean Kristen ball? Have we talked about Kristen ball? Can we hear ball? more about Kristen ball? Yeah, Kristen oh. ball. Sorry, I thought yes, she said Kristen ball. ball. When did we talk I about that? I have no idea when we it talked about it. a long this, time ago. Is this some sport you guys it's made? Not no. It's a game we used to play. As if I would ever invent it was a like sport. A, it was like a friend trivia game that we used to play. Kristen yeah, ball? So like the new, newlywed game, you know, different friends would pair off and I'd like go ask we yeah, always go back to my bathroom yeah yeah and i'd take half of them asking the question you know blah blah blah, blah. it was fun it was set up very much like the newlywed game yeah, it was a, a newlywed ripoff yeah and we called it Kristen ball mm-hmm. which is now what about your ball Kristen's ball yeah how's your ball <laughs> how's your ball <laughs> it's doing great thank you for asking <laughs> how's your muffin <laughs> when you at your old job didn't you have one of those big exercise balls that you used to sit on you were one of those. No. You um, sat on an exercise ball off you the did. show. You did. You had you one. Freak. I had you one. You freak. I had one. But there was this one day. Okay. So there were, first of all, my mom made fun of me. She called it a douche ball. Yeah, it is. So there were a bunch of us in the office that had them. I just, I, my abs are so important to me that I must bring an exercise ball to my desk. All right. All right. It's I so much healthier. Not the least bit surprising. It's so much have a healthier, treadmill you guys. desk, you douche. <laughs> So much healthier, you guys. How much does how much does it bother you that I have a treadmill desk? It's so douchey. <laughs> I love my treadmill desk. 
How much were you bothered by my salad today at lunch? Oh, I hated your salad. I was so glad when you ate my strawberry. <laughs> Your, my sal- salad. your salad was your salad my was salad terrible. was disgusting. It, like they drowned it in dressing. Leaves drowned in dressing. <laughs> yeah, it was not good. Brandy um, and I always get. We go to this local oh, so dive bar, good. and we yeah. always they have strombolis there, and they are amazing. The best. I'm sorry that I decided to get a salad. I learned my lesson. <laughs> Clearly, that was the only salad that has ever been made there because the guy had no <laughs> idea how, how much dressing goes on it. No, but what were what were we talking yeah. about? Your, your exercise. Your oh, oh, okay. Okay. So one day I'm in the office and again, a lot of people had these things and all of a sudden we heard this <laughs> and then thud. <laughs> Somebody <laughs> popped their ball. Someone, the ball had exploded <laughs> under her butt and she went down like a big dog. Oh, oh no. She probably blew it up too much. Oh, you overinflated her ball. That's what I said when she was down on the ground with her butt <laughs> broken in two. I was like, "Oh, you probably messed up. This is probably all your fault." No, no. So it scared me, and I was like, "Well, I don't want to have that happen." She looked really startled. I mean, the other thing was, it was at the university, so we were always doing active shooter drills. So you hear a bang like that, and you're like, "Everybody down!" I, I don't get how people do the standing desks, the treadmill desks. The exercise ball seat. I I can't do it. All right, then don't. I just got a super comfy office chair, yeah, and that's all I need. You douche. <laughs> you stand for your job. Are you a Yeah, douche? I do stand for my job. I'm also not at a desk. If she has to stand for her job. <laughs> yeah, so. the douchey thing for me would be to have one of those hairstylist saddle things. Have you seen those? No. What's They're that? They're so fucking ridiculous. I'm going to show you. A, a saddle? Yes. It's a saddle, and it like gets tall, oh. and then you mount it, and you roll around the back of your client. Well, but what about people who can't stand that long? That's good. No. Right. What do you mean no? I mean no. If Find you can't a stand new the profession? heat. Get out of the kitchen. Wow. <laughs> Jeez. Ooh. Hey, it's hard business. I guess so. Brandy's kicking you out. <laughs> do you guys want any more questions, or you guys? Let's do one do... more. Yeah. You want one more? Yeah. The best one. Yeah, oh, Norm has decided this been, question is the best one. I've been holding the best one for last. Jordan wants to know, do you have any weird family traditions for the holiday? Mm, weird family traditions. I don't know if it's weird. My family wears um, pajamas on Christmas morning. I don't know if it's weird, but my family opens presents on Christmas morning. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, that's not weird. That's normal. <laughs> is it? Yeah. Like We all like go to my mom's house. Nobody wakes up there, but we go in our pajamas. Yeah. I know. Oh, so you like leave the house in pajamas yeah. and drive somewhere? Yeah, that's a little different. Yeah, it's different, but it's not yeah. like weird. Yeah. So you fail. Okay. <laughs> I think that qualifies. I think it's for kind this of odd. answer. Yeah. Okay. It's okay. different. I don't know that we have any odd ones. Kirsten, Kirsten's family is very lovely. No, yeah, you guys spend the night. If, you, if you do Christmas at your parents' house, yeah, we spend, spend the, the night, night there. Yeah, yeah we spend the night. A little weird. You're adults. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the weirdest part is we're all in the same bed. No, yes. <laughs> Yeah, it's it's pretty odd. I'm used to it now, though. <laughs> Love cuddling with DP. Yeah. Uh, what were you gonna say? I say Kristen's family's very lovey. Yeah, Norma yeah. didn't get a lot of hugs as a kid, so he thinks we're very strange. <laughs> it's true. <laughs> uh, the only tradition my family has is breakfast casserole, aka sausage brunch. Yeah, your family eats sausage brunch. We call it, it breakfast casserole. Wow. I was shocked when every every Christmas morning. 
we have breakfast casserole. Wow. Yeah. I remember when I went over there for the first Christmas, I was stunned because I was like, is this something that everyone does? And that's probably <laughs> that's why probably I started why calling you, it yes. sausage brunch. Like, you're just assuming, assuming that, everyone that everyone knew, knew it. Yes. I mean, I thought it was weird you called it sausage brunch. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that's a good well, question. Those are good questions. Yeah. Take it away. All right. <laughs> Let's do some Supreme Court induction. Let's. But if you could stall for one second while I pull up oh, my... Oh, classic. Brandy doesn't have the tab open. <laughs> you guys, here's the deal. If you want to be a part of this, you got to join up at the Supreme Court level on Patreon. If you want to be in our gang... Our gang. Our gang. What? I don't know what song. It's the Spice Girls song. No. Yes. Sing more. If you want to be in our gang, our gang, our gang, you want to be in our gang. Oh, oh yeah. yeah. You want to be in. <laughs> yes. I'm the leader of the band. I am. <laughs> Try to stop me now. I love that song. Sorry for looking at you like that. Okay, guys, this week we are continuing our theme of reading names and your favorite TV shows. Excellent. Uh, This week we would like you to please stand and cover one eye as if you are doing an optical exam. All right. Leah. Anything ghost story related. Kiki. Law and Order. Bria. Dexter. Mary. Forensic Files. Jen. Oh, Jen cheated. A tie between Antiques Roadshow, Landscape slash Portrait Artist of the Year. What? That's not a show. What is it? Or Haunting of Hill House. Okay, Jen. All right. I love Antiques Roadshow. Well, me too. (laughs) (laughs) Mindy. City Confidential. Neptune. Quantum Leap, Cold Case, and The Golden Girls. We got another cheater. Cheaters. Too many cheaters. You get one favorite show, people. Katie. The Office. Lori Otts. The Nanny. Nefanu. Twin Peaks. Tanner. The Office. Julia. Full Metal Alchemist Brotherhood. What the fuck is that, I Julia? I don't know. I don't know. Norman, do you know what that is? What's it called? Full Metal Alchemist Brotherhood? Oh, yeah. It's a... Oh, oh right. okay. okay. Welcome to the Supreme Court! All right. Hey, guys. It's me, Brandy. <laughs> Hey. Who? <laughs> I'm here to do my weekly thank you for your support. We appreciate it a lot. Why are you going so slow? Do you think it sounds more sincere I if do. you go so slow? <laughs> <laughs> thank you for your support, guys. If you're looking for other ways to support us, please head on over to our social media. We're on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, Reddit, YouTube, Patreon, of course. Um, after you've done all that, subscribe to our podcast wherever you listen, and then head on over to Apple Podcasts. Leave us a rating, leave us a review. And then, uh, you know, join us next week. When we'll be experts on two whole new topics. Podcast adjourned. And now for a note about our process. I read a bunch of stuff, then regurgitate it all back up in my very limited vocabulary. And I copy and paste from the best sources on the web, and sometimes Wikipedia. So we owe a huge thank you to the real experts. For this episode, I got my info from newspapers.com, the New England Historical Society, and thelineup.com. And I got my info from the New York Daily News, the Lawrence Journal World, the Court Record, and Wikipedia. For a full list of our sources, visit lgtcpodcast.com. Any errors are of course ours but please don't take our word for it go read their stuff
As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform, with over 350 million global monthly visitors according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply.